Podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonsen. What's up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to the Progression Project Podcast. Today's guest on the show is Keith Taboul. You know him from KT Surfboards. He shapes boards for Kai Lenny, just shaped a downwind board for John John. He has an incredible history in shaping windsurfing boards uh, going back, and KT is a long-established brand, super influential within the surf space, especially in Maui and wind sports, but now in the foiling realm and big wave surfing as well with Kai. Uh, and it's great to have Keith on right now with the two things that I think that, you know, he's really done in the last year, which are the Dragonfly has been a huge success in the downwind scene. And now the recent, um, deal that's just happened with Kane, Kane DeWild is now a part of KT and they're moving forward with foil design. So that's incredibly exciting and things that we touch on during the podcast, uh, couple quick thoughts before we dive in. I've been doing a lot of soul searching since the Hood River trip on volume and downwinding. And I have come into SUP foiling, SUP downwind, from a SUP surfing background and from being on the kind of bleeding edge of SUP surfing where you're trying to ride the smallest boards that you can possibly uh, manage. So, you know, at, at a 80, I think it was like probably 83, 85 kilograms when I was really into sup surfing. And I was riding boards in the 78, 80, you know, sinkers, you know, five to 10 pounds less float than my weight. You'd sink those to about your knee. And so that's been my anchor point coming in to sup downwind. And I started off in the 105, 108 liter range. And the last board that I got actually out in Hood River. Um, this unifoil design, I love the board, is a, 100 liters. And I love it. It's actually great. 90% of the time, it's the volume that I'd like to be on. It's that 10% of the time when it becomes problematic. And so what I have found is that when the conditions are good, when I have a lot of energy kind of on the first go round, fresh legs, fresh arms, is that 100 liters paddles incredible for me. I'm getting up super early. Um, I love the way that it surfs, but what happens is if the conditions deteriorate, if you get a lot of cross chop, if I've done a long run and I'm somewhat tired, say after this happened to me the other day, I did a, I was doing like a seven or eight mile run, I think, and came off foil. Uh, it was a really hard day, just pumping most of the time. And so about, I don't know, a half mile, mile from where I was going to come out, I decided I'd just come off foil and call my wife, who's the best wife ever, to tell her that I was going to be back pretty soon because she was going to give me a ride. And when uh, I did that to get back up, I was tired and it was really difficult to get back up. And I was working incredibly hard. And so, sorry about the bings there. Um, in Hood, I also rode a 123-liter board for 710, uh, 19.5 or 20 wide, I think. Um, it might have been 20.5 wide. And the ease of getting that board up, I mean, it was one-third the energy. And, and the surf experience isn't that much different. You know, there was maybe a little bit more touch point. And this is something I'm going to touch on in the future, but I no longer look at board size in terms of dimensions. I'm looking at board size in terms of swing weight and touch points. And that's a distinction um, between the two, you know, like a board can feel much smaller than it is. Uh, and so I, I've really enjoyed, like I like starting runs with low cardio and I don't mind carrying a little bit of extra, you know, touch point swing weight, it's not much throughout a run. And, you know, for the 90% of the time that I'd rather be on the 100, it doesn't make up for the 10% of the time that I would want more leaders because that 10% of the time is going to be the trouble time. 
it's going to be the time when you're not getting up or um, maybe you want to be able to paddle faster in a situation. Like we've been uh, foiling chums a bunch this week. We've had this crazy five-day nor'easter. we got two or three more days on it and with king tides at the same time. And so our spot here in the inlet, it works with the outgoing tide and then a hard wind. The current has been incredible. And we've had uh, two two guys not be able to get up this week. And one of them I had to put in a ski and, and go make sure that they were okay. And the other was able to paddle fast enough back to get to a place where they could get to a beach and walk up. But the second one was pretty close. And, and I've been up there as well where you just get past the point of kind of no return and then you're forced to get up on foil. There's a lot of consequence in regards to it would just turn into a very long day because the other access point, the other, you know, get out point is on the other side of the river, which you have to take a ferry over to get uh, to get back. And I mean, that would just be such a long day if, if that happened. And that would be a best case scenario once you pass that point of no return. And so I just think that in downwinding i'm going to start opting for ease um rather than what i want to feel while on foil maybe 100 percent, giving up a couple percent in the uh, feel on foil for you know 50 60 percent more ease of of entry and ease of experience and you know that's one of the things that that josh ku and i were talking about is he's riding a lot more volume per kilogram of weight than I have been. And he's a much better downwind foiler than I am too. And so that that's what got me thinking. And then the experience of coming back with the 100 liter board and, you know, say four out of five or nine out of 10 sessions, I'm loving it. But it's that one when I'm not loving it that is the one that I need to solve for, I think. So I'd love to hear your thoughts if you guys have put time into this. Um, and... You know, I know that we all have different, you know, skill sets and fitness levels and, but I'd love to get you guys, shoot me DMs. Let me know what you guys are thinking about volume and downwind, where you guys have landed and, um, just any thoughts that are, that are relevant to this. So thought I'd throw that out there because it's what I'm soul searching on right now. And let's enjoy a conversation with Keith Taboul. Hit me with questions, comments, feedback, and yeah, thanks for tuning in. Later. Keith, thanks for coming on the show. How yes. Are Thank, good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I should say at the start of the show right now that Keith is awesome and just pushed back a half an hour for me because we had solid 25 mile an hour straight side shore wind come through and my son and i just sent a four mile downwinder so i'm super frothy and um thanks for uh <laughs> thanks for pushing back a little bit for sure those are always the best times when you can like have the freedom again to go do what you need to do in the water that is yep <laughs> that's why so. you do something like what you do right so you can live so close to that what's the point if you can't 100% every day, just yesterday, I was frothing to go out because I had two new prototypes to try and ended up doing two downwinders because I had two different boards to try with my main tester. And yeah, it, it's awesome. Fortunate for that. Oh, that's unreal. Um, on that note, when did you know that your life was going to take this path? Yeah, when did I know? I was born in Madagascar, lived there 10 years, a couple years in the Caribbean, and then I moved to San Diego for high school. And where I learned to surf. I had already been windsurfing for quite a while, um, but surfing took the forefront just because um, there's not a lot of wind in San Diego. Um, and then from there, I moved to uh, I moved to Hawaii right out of high school um, when I was 17 to pursue my windsurfing career. And um, about eight years in, I met a bunch of friends. I had a bunch of friends, and we decided to start a, a windsurfing company and that's when I started to learn to build boards and that's I think would be probably the start of when I kind of committed to this path um I wasn't shaping yet but pretty close pretty um early on I I started just dabbling in the shaping making my own boards and then slowly but surely just developed it from there one thing I love about your career is that you have been able to uh, apply your talents across multiple sports and disciplines 
seemingly without losing any credibility in any of them. Like a lot of people become so entrenched in I shape shortboards or, or just in the surf scene. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Was that uh, just because you had a bunch of passions across multiple disciplines and was that ever an issue for you? Well, I think, you know, we are fortunate with where we live here in Maui. Yeah. Um, one, and then the other thing is I, I came from a windsurfing background and then started surfing and both those two sports were really my passion. And, um, I was a professional windsurfer for years. And so I put a lot of energy into that, but my passion was really surfing and riding waves, both windsurfing and surfing. So I was able to just develop boards for both of those, uh, aspects of what I'd like to do. And then these other sports like, uh, foiling came along and kiting and stand up. And so I think throughout my shaping career, we've just sort of adapted to what was going on. And because of the people that I work with, the factory that I have here, we were able to produce lighter, stronger boards. And that attracted different people that I've worked with team-wise. Started working with Kai Lenny and different surfers originally. And then, um, so just all these pieces sort of came together because I was pretty open to shaping anything. And I think that's number one. And then number two, I had a really good team behind me supporting me. And that's really where it comes down to is like the team you build around you really helps me to focus on different aspects of shaping and boards. And right now I'm really in downwind world, but that's about to shift in about two weeks. That's going to shift more towards windsurfing, wave boards and um, surfboards. Yeah. So different times of the year allow me to, to work on different things. And it seems like the schedule of the year and what we're doing really is conducive to focusing on surf, windsurfing during the winter months, some prone foiling on the waves. And then summer months are really about prone foiling, winging and, and downwind. Yeah. I'm a big believer. I spend a lot of time thinking about creativity, where it comes from and I'm a big believer that creativity really comes through experience and knowledge and then being good at tying patterns or seeing patterns and tying that together. And it's not a mystery to me that like Dave Kalama has always been at the forefront and creative because he has, he's had his hand in so many different disciplines. So he's drawing parallels just the way that you are from those lines of experience. And I can only, I, for me personally, um, I designed subboards for a while and then shortboards and then into foil boards and yeah, crazy the stuff, like I have a mid length that's at this point, I shape very few surfboards, but there's a mid length that I've made. That's it took what I learned through vo for volume displacement or um, distribution and applied that to surfing. And it was like really cool and folks really dig it. It's like a, a new thought on volume. If I hadn't shaped in sup for five years. I, I would never have come up with that, right? But people thought it was something new or creative. It wasn't. It was just seeing something. Um, do you yeah, have a story? 100%. Of how you have... Yeah, yeah. One... Oh, you want to pull on that thread for a little while? That's where I was going. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, you, what you say is, is straight up. It's so true. It just comes from, one, from team guys coming to me with ideas. Mm -hmm. Then, two, me drawing from just things I'm seeing around, whether it's the boating world or whether it's... a. Uh, it's a, a plane that lands on water, a pontoon plane. Um, and then drawing the different sports draw from each other, from windsurfing with the speed, the drive, the hold, um, surfing with the, you need something that's maybe a little more forgiving or whatever you're looking for. And then the downwind foiling, I, I, there's a lot of, uh, of the, just the normal sup race sports that's starting to come into my boards not maybe to the same degree, but just ideas come from that and then um, affect other sports, whether it's all the sports affect all the others. Yep. Um, I'm really finding I, I draw inspiration from different things and try different things. And I think that the foiling really helped me open my mind a little bit more and just to just try a bit things that are a bit different in my surfboards or this or that vice versa and um, i'm really thankful for the foiling aspect of thing coming in to help me um, open up again yeah it's so exciting um i lived in costa rica for a long time then had to move back to the states and was as depressed as you could possibly be being a surfer <laughs> and then foiling mm -hmm. came along and now it's just re-energized everything 
And I can only imagine. It was actually really funny. It was my son's first. So Keith and I got to meet while we were out in Hood River, and we had a fun conversation with Kane for a little while on uh, right there at, at the uh, AWSI. And um, totally. my son learned to downwind while we were in Hood, and today was his first run um, back in Florida, his first real downwind run ever in Florida. And I was a little bit concerned that it wasn't going to live up to the hype. <laughs> it sure yeah. did. So that wasn't that fun, Dad. I was like, nah. oh, he was going off. <laughs> um, I know, it's part of the struggle. Yeah. Where I was going with that is I, I think it was so cool to walk around AWSI and just get to talk to you and Army and all the crazy, incredible designers that are there. And the vibe was so welcoming. Everyone's yes. so excited about the sport that it didn't feel compartmentalized yet. Did you get that same feeling? Yeah, for sure. I got that. I think even more than the year before. I thought this year was really um, about creativity. And there was an openness that I didn't experience last time. And I don't know if that's just me or where I'm at, but it was nice. It was nice to see. And it's nice to see that people are being creative. And it's cool to see that there's a lot of really creative people out there. And um, it's amazing. It's not just the same players. It's a lot of different people from different backgrounds that are attracted by this sport. That's um, there's definitely something to it. I love it. It gave me so much hope for the sport staying like this stoked family for longer. And you were, you actually, you could probably talk to this being a, a windsurfing guy. Like it doesn't seem like there's the scarcity in the wind sports as there is in the surf lineup. Can you talk through how that has felt through the decades in windsurfing and if that ever went away, if that still exists now? What do you mean by scarcity? The scarcity of waves. I feel like the oh. lineup and, and the scarcity of waves makes surfers a little bit standoffish. You're never psyched when someone comes to your spot and you're surfing. By. Yeah, I never totally. River. No, I think the sport of foiling attracts a different kind of people people that are a little open, more open-minded in general right now, maybe when it becomes a little more mainstream and as it gets bigger, that'll change. But I think that the, because foiling is so efficient that you can get away from people if you want, you can be around people if you want. And I think that people that are, are in foiling tend to have a little more respect and give a little more space to what's going on. And just take downwind, even winging, you can go out there and be by yourself all day long if you want. And most of the time I am, and that's part of the reason it's so amazing yeah um windsurfing definitely it's a little less like that but it's more than say surfing where you're definitely really protective of your brakes and waves and so on there is definitely that scarcity mentality um but windsurfing less because it's free you move around more it's not so compact at the peak and it's you're not up in everybody's space so much so it is nice and I think it's even more than windsurfing or any of these sports, just this, the freedom it allows to get away and yet still feel something that's really, um, intense. Yeah. I hope that foiling doesn't lose that. I feel like certain aspects never will I feel like downwinding will never feel crowded. No, never. <laughs> I'm begging people to come with me all the time still. <laughs> I know it's the same for me. And, but again, that's, what's so cool about it. You're just up there floating around and using this energy out of the ocean. That's. You can't, you obviously you can see it, but it's not like visible a wave so much. Right. It's just an, an energy that you're tapping into. That's pretty, pretty special. Yeah. I've started to refer to downwinding as liquid meditation. <sighs> yeah. 100%. I get a lot of ideas. At first when I was learning, I didn't get a lot of ideas because <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to focus on getting up. But now as I'm getting a little better and I'm, I'm not that great yet, but I can do it. Um, I have time up where you're, there's moments when you can relax and then you start thinking and looking and trying to understand what you're feeling and ideas will come to me like that. Yeah. I love that. Um, you mentioned earlier that you work with a great team. You have great team riders. You get a lot of feedback and ideas from them in that relationship, in the collaboration relationship, what constitutes good feedback for you? What are you looking for? If you're refining a board or a foil or, whatever it is you're designing, how do you well, get feedback coming? Yeah. Good feedback for me comes from say Kai Lenny's an amazing um, tester. He yeah. tries a lot of different things. So he has a really good baseline of what, 
one he likes or what something feels like. Um, and he's really quick to pinpoint um, what it might be that he's feeling. And he will oftentimes give an idea of where to go. Right. So that's really cool. And he does a lot of his own testing. So it's not me saying, hey, can you test this and this? I do that a lot and say, hey, try this new wing board or this new downwind board. Or A lot of it also comes from us just making boards for him mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis. And a lot of what I learned there goes into everything else that I'm doing. But say with the downwind boards, originally he came to me and we worked on that. And then I made him some boards and he was happy. But since I was going through the learning process, um, that's been probably the best thing I've ever done to figure out how to make the boards better for someone who's not very good. And then now that the boards are are where I think they should be, I'll have him test him mm-hmm. and see what he says and what he's feeling. And then, um, then I have a really good gauge of what's going on because I know what I did, every little iteration that I did to get to where I'm at. And then he'll come in and just either blow it up or say, wow, this is amazing. Or so it's cool. Or someone like Kane, he's very good. Yeah. And he's very good at pinpointing what he thinks is wrong and what he likes. Mm -hmm. But he always starts with, oh, man, this thing's amazing. And then he goes, (laughs) but maybe we could do this and this to make it a little bit. You're like, okay, it's good. (laughs) The best times that I've ever had and the most progression I've ever had is when the board sucks. And you're like, okay, like this board is not working. So I have to just put in the work and put in the thought and have the conversations with the people we need to and just really try and pinpoint what's going on and whether you need more speed or turn or glide or whatever it is, um, just pinpointing. And it can be challenging because my whole life is about testing. There's no, I don't have a lot of time where I just have a board and I'm like, ah, this thing rips and I'm just going to stick with it for a while. It's, it's really cool that I'm in this position, but it's also can be frustrating. I completely understand. We spent, <laughs> Was about a we're about almost what uh, over a year now a year and five four five months doing the progression foils and yeah, yeah. that's what here. I've been using by the way I love it ah oh, sick yeah I use the one seventy that's my wing that I do every day I, I use a back wing that Kane has made yeah he, but um it's amazing it's really fun it's been a great learning foil for me a little hard at first for me but once I figured it out now I'm figuring it out it's great yeah. I think the 170 is going to be slow for you out there, but, um, it is now, but not in the beginning. Now it's a little bit slow, but I'm getting every ounce of it, every ounce of speed out of it that I can get. And it's been a great foil to learn and progress. It's awesome. That was super thankful for that killer. Mm -hmm. Um, but for, for over a year, I never really had a session where I wasn't testing yeah. And it became really frustrating. I watched people continue to get better than yeah, yeah. Know, stuck at a level. Um, I'm being a little bit more selfish now in, in the surfing, but um, you mentioned there like designing something bad teaches you the most. I had an experience where I spent two years designing one board and it went really good. And then I was like, all right, cool. I figured it out and then went on to the next one and it was terrible. And I, no. It took me a whole year. It took me probably 15 protos to figure out what I had missed. Yeah. And it seems like that was a very expensive, just absolute waste of time for a year. Um, because it would have been very easy just to rip off what I had figured out. Um, but then I, but then after that year, I figured out like the missing ingredient <laughs> and then moving forward, had a whole new understanding. I feel like those things are, those processes are so important. 100%. I think it, it, if you're hitting these blocks as a shaper, it in general can maybe mean something that you need to put the time in to understand where you're at with whatever particular design. Yeah. And what's, usually you'll struggle, struggle, and there'll be a little bit of an aha moment. You're like, oh, wow, okay, if I tried that, and then it just feels right. And you're like, okay, I'm going to try that. I think that's going to be good. And then it's, okay, wow. I just went through that with the downwind boards. The boards have been really good and I've been, they've been getting incrementally better, very small (laughs) incrementally. And then I was like, okay, but I keep waiting for this moment where it's going to be 20% easier for me to, to do it. 
Mm-hmm. And I kept expecting this and I was not hitting it. Not even like maybe 5% better in a certain way, but not overall. Right. And then yesterday I hit that 20%. I'm like, okay, I got it. And um, not that I got the whole thing. There's still questions, but I, I got that 20% easier get up, glide, stability, all that. And I'm like, okay, this is great. So yeah, it feels good when you hit those points. Yeah. I love this. I won't ask what the breakthrough was. I'm yeah. Sure <laughs> but, but <laughs> I'm no, you get to feel it soon enough. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Feedback was interesting at the show. Everyone was doing flat water starting and um, Koo was saying that he tried almost every board that was out. Yeah. And yeah. The, the dragonfly was the easiest start. And he actually got to start the, was it the one that Oscar raced, the uh, Armstrong's, I think it's a 750, the new one? Yeah. And he could flat water that on one of your wow. dragonflies. Yeah, that's cool. That's good to hear. He's awesome. I really enjoyed meeting him. He's, yeah, he's, he's got great. a great energy and yep. just kind and yeah, knowledgeable and humble. It's awesome. I learned so much just spending five days, six days, downwinding with him that I bet. In, like we, we're in our own little echo chamber over here it's like mike me and austin essentially yeah <laughs> and uh we've just been learning together but we That's have awesome. someone come in who's that much better that you can look and go oh i'm not doing that i'm not doing that i'm not doing that and that's just so important it is isn't it it's i i appreciate well i'm, we're, I'm fortunate here in maui we've got waves we've got wind we've got a downwind run, we have pretty much every sort of testing that you could imagine. The only thing that sometimes can happen is you can get a little bit disconnected from the real world, what the real world really needs. Mm. And I think over the years, because I've done a lot of uh, design work for in windsurfing for our stock sizes we do, um, that we do in Thailand with the Cobra factory. Um, and you really have to tap into what the real world really needs. Yep. And I've had a lot of back and forth with that. So I think that's really helped helped me to make a board that's more accessible and look at the realities of what um, the, the just people in general in other places are going to need. Yep. Especially if you're mostly foiling with Kane and Kai. <laughs> that's not a normal, I don't, that's they not don't a go. Right I'm there. not good enough to go with them. They just, <laughs> they don't even talk to me when it comes to going to do go ride. <laughs> the other day I went, and I was um, struggling and I was almost down to Sugar Cove, maybe a mile, half a mile away or a mile. And I was just sitting there because I was tired. And all of a sudden, Kai like rocks up and is about to fly by. And he just turns back and stops. Like, hey, how's it going? You know, and I'm like, oh, cool. It's going good. And I'm like still struggling. So I oh, just keep at it. You know, whatever. He gave me a couple tips. And then all of a sudden, John just came flying by. Same thing. He had just uh, he had just paddled in, like he chip shot at Maliko and had no paddle and made it the whole way on a thousand or something. And you're like, okay, I got some work to do. <laughs> it's pretty cool though. Yeah, I always say there are levels to these games. Yeah, you know? no, but I appreciate being at this level. It's been a great, humbling, and difficult. And the other day, two days ago, I launched at Maliko, and there was like. Me and my friend launched and we were out there and we got up and started paddling and my friend got up right away and was gone. And then like six other guys came out after me. I'm like, okay, I should be able to get up before these guys and go. I didn't get up before any of them. They took off. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, okay, it's just what it is. But then yesterday was a breakthrough day for me. So that makes up for it. Um, so in thinking about downwind boards, what's your volume to weight ratio that you're riding, right? That was a big thing, a big metric in subsurfing, right? In the competition area was generally like equal liters to kilograms or a little bit. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I ride way more volume than my weight. Yeah. So I'm at like 76 kilos probably. Mm -hmm. And I'm on a hundred and I'm either a hundred or 105 liters. That's the sizes I've been working around. And um, the 100, they're both equally as easy, relatively as easy. Um, So that's where I sit. And in general, I don't think people need to ride too small of a board. I agree. I agree. It was actually a really interesting thing while we were out at Hood, where I always, coming from SUP, I had always been anchored to smaller volumes. And I just realized that I've been working at a disadvantage for a long time because out there, there was a day where 
everybody had grabbed boards before I did. And I got stuck on a 123 liter board and I'm like, good God, this thing got out there and it was like two paddles and I was flying. I was like, yeah. wait a second. <laughs> this yeah, was yeah, totally. really easy. Yeah. No, I agree. I think going down too, too little on those boards serves no purpose. And I think Mm-hmm. You can actually get more performance out of the board um, in other ways, and it can still feel like a relatively small board in the air. Like I'm riding an 8.0 and a um, and a 7.10, and those lengths feel great to me. They don't feel long. They feel the way they turn is so drivey, and yeah, it's awesome. Even watching Kai and John fly by me, those guys are on 8.4s. Kai's on an 8.4. Mm-hmm. like 105 liter and he looked amazing same with john they're just they're turning and nothing's touching and it, you're out there to have fun not struggle right it's interesting because i spend a lot of time talking to dave and yeah um I, i'll just to say dave's been great and i you have to give a shout out to dave for just bringing up this whole downwind innovation thing that he sort of started so Get get that clear that he's definitely the one that started this whole this whole thing. Oh yeah, I try to do that on the show all the time. Was, he was the, he sent me a, an E three, got me into downwinding and yeah, epic. Got me into foiling too. It's like we were at SUP. Like I knew him through SUP. You got to get on a foil. You got to get on a mm-hmm. foil. It took me a year to take his advice, and now at this point, he's been right about so many things. It's the uh, yeah three people in my life. If he tells me to do something, I'm gonna do it. You're gonna and I'll do figure it. I'll buy later. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. But anyway, sorry to distract you. Oh yeah, no worries. Um like what works out there is not necessarily what works here. Like an eight foot board here on a lot of our days is too long. It doesn't fit in the bumps. Like our energy is so much weaker, so much smaller. It's mm-hmm. uh, tighter than hood just because it'll just be a sea breeze that pops up. And so I've found the sweet spots like six ten to seven five maybe for, cool. for what we have. Yeah. What kind of widths are you running? Um, 18 and a half to, I have one that's a 610 23 that it's my favorite board to be on a run with and my least favorite board to pop up. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So there's always a, there's always a give and a take. And my take on it and the direction we're going to go is basically I'm going to offer two different lines. One line that's going to be a little shorter, wider, a little bit more stable, and one line that's going to be more the same as what we're doing now in the displacement hall and yeah. but little longer lengths and but i do have that dragonfly tail that release tail that i do that really gets the board out of the way and i feel like in general from what i've heard the boards that i do make feel a little shorter than what the length is saying yeah. that's just something i've heard and to be honest i've never tried anybody else's board um so I, I don't even have a reference there um, from the feedback I'm getting from other people that have, that's what I'm feeling. I, I think that makes Because sense. I agree. I think if you could make a, a bit shorter board that gets up easy, yeah, you're going to fit in the bumps and hood better. And then what you're saying, even where you're at, is even more. But I think then the foils also will need to play a huge part of that. Yep. that uh equation um i agree completely i i really like the bottom that you're doing on the dragonfly um yeah i think it's a lot I know that these processes are always iterative and you always learn through one generation to the next i feel like the, like the ginsu's ended up with a little bit of swing weight in the front and then yeah. you kind of have your foil farther back which was tough for me because i have my foil really far forward and i like almost zero nose swing weight but it seems yeah. like you figured all that out moving into the generation that you guys are on now, which is awesome. Yeah, 100%. And everything's shifted forward even more. Um, and yeah, you're definitely, I'm standing more forward than the uh, the current Dragonfly. Um, so, but I think that board was, it, it's been a great board. We've done well with it. And, um, and it's been a great springboard for the next rounds. And now I'm much more involved in the whole design process because I went through learning. And so it's helped me to really understand um, what I wanted out of it and, at any rate and understand the feedback I'm getting as well. They look amazing in the feedback. Thank you. It's, uh, it's been really uh, incredible. Um, it's swing weight and touch points, right? That's how I look at so much of foiling. 
Yeah, definitely, especially on the dragonflies. Yeah. Or the downwind boards. And um yeah, shoots. Yesterday I did a ton and ton of pumping and and um you really realize that it that it is important to make sure that the board is not getting in your way and is only helping you. Um yeah. As as little as possible with everything being a compromise. Totally. <laughs> yeah, That's totally. Not like how you could have a board that like almost like deflates or something like because you only need that volume for what five strokes if everything goes well and then you're just carrying it for the totally. Rest. Then you're just you're carrying it. Yeah, I know. But I think having everything shipped forward and all has really balanced everything. It's a very balanced feeling. I feel like. Yeah, um, got- it doesn't feel like you have a ton of nose. It doesn't feel like you. I don't even notice the tail. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe as I go into the bigger sizes, you start feeling a little bit more disconnected to the foil. Um, but again, it's a give and a take. I think that has so much so, to do with mast stiffness, right? If you have any little wiggle in the base plate when you're on a six inch thick board. It just gets magnified totally. and that's really hard totally. to find. Totally. And especially when you're say, well, pumping or trying to get up or even going into a turn, you can get that mass bend shift and you're like, whoa, wobble. Yep. So I, I, everything's just going to get better and better is because there's just so much energy being put into it. It, don't, it can only get better. Yeah. Um, I know that, did you have a hand with MFC? Wasn't that like a collab with? Um... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were doing. Um, we I was testing the foils, just using the foils, yep. and we were doing uh, the distribution for MFC. Okay. Um, do you do much on the? I know bringing on Kane. There's a lot of speculation about what's going to happen with KT. Uh, moving yeah. forward, you've got one of the best designers, one of probably five guys in the sport right now that. He really has his hand on the pulse and understands. And actually, I think Kane's an interesting one because I would bet that he is probably the best designer rider in one that is out there right now. I can't think of anyone. Yeah, who- it just sort of happened. We'd considered working in the past, but it just never lined up and we didn't put a lot of energy into it. And then just the opportunity sort of came up, use that word organically, but it just came up naturally and we were... You know, I was driving down the road one day and I was just like, oh man, I should reach out to Kane because I saw something. And then I did and it sort of progressed and we courted each other a little bit, took the time to understand what we're both looking for and it seemed to really mesh and and it was a time when we could um, use the help and we were developing foils for KT with another designer who's very good, um, but not a writer. And so we had these meetings and just saw that we could sort of align in the way we're going. And, um, and it's really worked well. I think he saw an opportunity to get a lot of prototyping for boards, for foils. And we have, we have our distribution in place and we have our manufacturing in place. And, and so it was a natural thing to happen because he's a, a rider based designer as we are. And, you know, we own our own company and we can, do it the way we want to do it and um so it was exciting to come together and sort of envision where we could go with it and learn how we work and allow him the freedom just to be who he is yet at the same time work on 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 these wings so yeah we're excited yeah i think everyone's excited for that i think that's yeah (laughs) and i'm super excited to see where it goes as a big fan of canes for a long time years ago i was like kane let's do something and talked about it for a little while. And he's had so many opportunities and it's like tough to for sure get to something that's like a startup. Um, but I think it's a great place where he's landed and that's going to be really cool to see. Yeah, it, it, it is cool. We're excited. He's definitely, um, a, a special designer person, just the way he thinks and you can just see his brain churning when he's thinking about these things and I can relate to it and what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not as into it as he is, <laughs> you know, he's just like Excel sheets and graphs and all this. And I'm like, Whoa, that, but it's amazing. And it's, you know, I think for foil design, it's where you need to be if you want to be at the, the cutting edge and, and, and going places that nobody's gone and understanding what's going on. And 
going out and testing and knowing what, oh, I need a little angle change here, this or that. He, he knows it instantly. And that's, that's what we need. That's what we needed to bring it to that next level where we can feel really confident saying, well, these foils are amazing. Um, we can stand behind them. We understand them. We put a package together to sell them. I mean, you've gone through this. Mm-hmm. So you understand what it takes to produce a foil. It's not easy. No, it's, it was a much, it started off as like a joke on the show and then ended up being a year and a half project that was like incredibly intense. I didn't anticipate any of that. No. Yeah. It's not easy. No. The designing part's almost the easy part. Then you got to test, produce, get everything together. It's, there's a lot of steps to, to the whole thing. And I think that Kane had an opportunity to, to do a little bit of this with some other different things. And I realized that, that what it does takes take. And so I think that gave him a good perspective to come in here and ask for what he needed and where he wanted to see himself and us also say, well, this is what we need from you and this is how it could work. And so I think he felt comfortable, um, committing Mm -hmm. and, um, same with us because again, it's not just doing designs, it's finding a production and all the little issues you have and distribution and it's way more than just making an epic foil. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a little bit too much spray and a mass pocket and a, um, a proto is ruined and you're set back a month and <laughs> yeah, it's all totally. Um, yeah, yeah, but we've been doing it for a while with other products. And so it was really natural for us to take this on. Yeah. Well, it's going to be exciting. Kane is it, one of the things that I learned through that process is that there's so much that you can learn from running the models and getting the data. And then there are places where it just doesn't feel like what it should feel. And figuring out that is so important. And that's like the brilliance of having someone like Kane who actually understands the models and then can probably intuit what is happening with, uh, with the discrepancy in feel. Um, totally. And then he'll put a 1.5 shim here and then shim this and that. Oh, it feels so much better. And then whatever. But yeah, there's no way I could understand that ever. <laughs> I can get on a foil and say, yeah, it feels fast. Oh, wow. It's like more back foot. It turns nice. It's stable. But to figure out when a foil is not working properly, what to do, mm-hmm. don't even know. But that's why we work with Kane. <laughs> so good move. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Um, <laughs> Another interesting thing that I'm sure that you have a lot of experience in and foiling presents some unique challenges is board construction. I don't know if there's anything that you want to talk about and how you've made your stuff really bulletproof, but I feel like that's something that every foiler is so concerned about, especially as we're moving into buying boards that are so expensive at this point. Um, a box, yeah, because, yeah be, because we've had so much experience with, with sandwiching and vacuuming and just the windsurfing industry has taught us a lot about um, different materials and different processes and so i think that's allowed us to come in with a pretty good menu of ideas and directions and i more than anything i I really realize that the more simple you can do it the better Um, so we're always trying to find and then again my team comes into huge play because I make them stuff and if they break it or this or that. So I get a lot of real world testing and feedback quickly. Um, but say for a downwind board, I'm looking for something that's stiff as light as possible, yet as strong as possible. But I think with downwind boards, we have to realize that there's only so much you can do. Mm-hmm. And there's, I think, yeah, it's an expensive board, but you go buy a carbon mountain bike, it's expensive. And if you drop it on a rock, it's going to chip and, not crack, I'd say, but whatever. So downwind boards, if you want the performance, this is a high-end built board to get be efficient. And so I think people also have to have some expectations of what they're getting and what's expected of them. There's always little issues that come up, but and same for the wing boards. As the needs for what the wing boards are going through through have changed because they're definitely going through a lot more abuse than they were. Um, we've had to sort of adjust and adapt, but a lot, all that happens here, um, in our D and our factory here. And, um, 
So I have a really quick turnaround of we're having a problem, or maybe we can back off on the lamination a little bit or just reinforce here or whatever it might be. I have a really quick turnaround to test and see that is going to be a good option, whatever we're coming up with. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one where you start foiling, you have some on, on ramp to foiling, whether it's prone or wing. And then within a couple of years, you're downwinding, you're winging, you're prone, you're towing. And now all of a sudden you need you know, a yeah. lot of it, it, it adds up quick, but it's so it worth does it. add up quick. Yeah, yeah, it is so worth it um, for sure. What I explain to people is well, how much would you pay? Do you pay to go ski for a week? This is more fun and you can do it every day. Yeah. So there you go. That's a good way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know people just need to understand what it can give you and, and how efficient it is. And it's accessible pretty much anywhere. You can do it pretty much anywhere. There's water. And um, yeah, so that's what's so cool about it. And I think that's what attracts people to it. And it's I think it's just gotten easier and easier to learn as well. As the foils get better, as the boards get a little more efficient, but the pieces are all coming together to make it even more accessible. Absolutely. Where do you think we are right now in the development curve? How much are we 50% of the way there? Are we 90% of the way there? Start with foils and then go into boards. I think foils were maybe 40% there. Wow. That's just off the top of my head. Uh, it just the change I've seen in the last year has been pretty phenomenal. Um, and then board-wise, yeah. I think that the downwind trend that Dave really ushered in has really shifted the way, the perception of what you need and, and lengths and widths and all that. And it's scrambling the whole, well, at least for me, industry. I think in boards in general, will get a little longer and a little narrower now within reason. Um, Board-wise, I'd say we're probably maybe 60% there. I don't know that in the past, people were putting as much effort into the board design. And, and now I think we're realizing that it's a lot more important than originally thought and pairing with the foil and what's going on and how it attaches and what angle and all this is, is really going to start playing a part in how the board works and how it sits in the air and how it goes through the air and learning a lot from Kane on this stuff as well. Cause he sends me, board designs every once in a while and hey let's 3d print this and so he really thinks about this stuff a lot and that just goes back to me having a great team to to work with and drive the direction of each sport because it is difficult for me to be creative in every sport all the time and drive innovation and so i'm i love it but sometimes a lot of times i need help and direction yeah. You're running a big organization. Running an organization is a lot of time right there. It's impressive that you get to still spend so much time with your hands in everything. Yeah. It's important that I, that I do that. And it's important that I'm on the water because that, that drives my innovation and my connection to each of the sports. And really we don't get into something unless we see that it's, it's a long-term project. So if we're going to come out with a new product, we got to know that it's not just this year you're doing it. It's in two years because we tend to like to keep our product on a two-year cycle if we can. Um, I think it helps the market. It gives the market time to sort of understand it and enjoy it and not, oh, I got to get the next thing. And then the used market's not as good. So we really try and do that unless there's something that, you know, that that needs to be um change because the new innovations are that much better so and we're also trying to produce in a way that costs aren't as high so that you can shift sooner if you needed to and just try and make something that's a little longer lasting yeah um in regards to market size for foiling how big do you think that this sport could get? You've watched iterations. You've watched the ebb and flow of a lot of board sports through your time. Um, what do you think foiling will become? And is there a limit? Now, for me, just 
as the products get easier and more accessible, easier to get up foiling and all that, I think the sky is the limit, to be honest. Um, I think it'll, as far as water sports, I think it's going to be one of the biggest water sports there is because it's so accessible in any kind of water and, and it's accessible to so many different kinds of people. And then the feeling that you get when you're up flying around, it's like a magic carpet. It's how I describe it. When I'm doing my downwind run and I'm standing there and now I'm actually able to look around because I'm not all freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> I can look around and look at the mountains and I'm floating along and there's no noise. And there's, it's like a magic carpet. And you're using this energy in the ocean that's not super visible, but you can feel it. That's for sure. Um, it's pretty in, insane. And I think that it's so foreign to anything else. Like surfing, you're so connected to the water, windsurfing, same thing. That people, when they do finally feel that foiling feeling and that glide, it's t intoxicating. It's you want more, you want to feel that more. And I think it connects them to being um, present because you really do have to be present, especially when you're learning um, and that. And you see anywhere from kids to grandmas and grandpas that are doing this. When you see that, it's really gives you good inspiration that it's going to, it's going to go far. Yeah, I absolutely agree. The term foil brained is caught on for a reason. James Casey coined that um, early days in foiling, I think. And yeah. There's something that happens. There's a switch that flips at some point and then you're all in. Yep. Uh, I agree. <laughs> that one moment. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I ask a lot of people ask you right now. Do you remember that first flight? Like that first moment when you were like, oh man. I do. I went with Kai. He was, Kai ushered in the second generation of foiling, I want to say. Absolutely. Really brought it onto the map and, and I was making boards for him since the beginning. Um, and he brought me one time and I tried it and completely didn't understand it. Kind of was a little bit not turned off. I'm like, man, this is hard. I don't know if I can do this. Um, and then I think maybe three or four months later, um, MFC was starting to develop foils. So I had access to foils. And then I just basically took two weeks in the middle of winter. It was gushing rain, windy on shore. And I went in the harbor and I just learned to do it. And I started getting my first flights. And it was like, wow, this is impressive. Um, and I think what's going to make it a lot easier is the foils are so much easier now than they were in the past. It's just much more settled takeoff, more stability. So the learning curve is going to be much quicker. And because there is so much energy and there is there is industry behind it and there are board sales. I think it's just going to feed competition side of things. And that always sets an avenue for younger people to make a living doing this and you know, kind of broadens the appeal and people who want to do it. And so I think that's really going to push it all. Yep. I absolutely agree. It was actually interesting. I got into a little thing on the forum the other day where someone was complaining about foiling companies being out for profit. And I was like, first off, it's incredibly difficult and expensive to create foils. And we all are benefiting from the fact that these companies are investing so much money into creating better experiences. I hope that there's a ton of profit. And I hope that everybody throws tons of money into research and design because the sport oh, yeah. is better for it. If the profit goes away, so does all the cool new toys, oh. right? Like. 100%. And what are we supposed to do? Not make money? <laughs> it was a, anyway. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I almost never like chime in on stuff like that, but I was like, I yeah, the vested interest that there's enough money so that we can push forward and all that like crazy. Um, yeah. I, and I hope people also like, cause there's this little thing about the surfing and surfing breaks and all that. And I would hope that the, the foiling world would, respect that and have a keep a distance from those good breaks and realize that there's so many other places that you can take advantage of that you don't need to be at your local surf break that's been there for 50 years 
on that. That distinction, I think, is going to be important to keep the stoke, keep that crossover from guys surfing to foiling, that that respect, and that's going to be important. Yeah, I agree with that. At the same time, though, I feel like no one has ownership of the ocean, and so I think that there are definitely places where foilers shouldn't go, but I think you shouldn't just feel like you can't go somewhere because you're on a foil maybe. I don't know. I have a tough one with that as a, I feel like I'm very respectful if I enter a lineup, no matter what. And I never, yeah. Around yeah. I, I don't go to breaks, but I, I, I also, I have a really bad taste in my mouth from the sup days and the, just the tribalism yeah. that, that I kind of, I don't think I would ever just blanket statement say, can't go somewhere. I just don't like rules. I guess I'm a libertarian. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think more than anything, it's just using common sense. Right. More than anything. It's if there's 10 guys surfing, it's like, why are you going there when you can go over there? I guess it's just being aware of that because problems will arise with that. Yeah. So whether they're going to be bad or longer lasting, who knows? But I think just being aware, it's important. Yeah. Um, I hate to see like in some places in Australia, they've tried to do foil bands and there's certain places where, you know, during the lifeguard hours, you can't foil. I, I have that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I guess there's been a, there are a few problems here and there, and maybe that's led the, the, the charge for that. And again, it's people that aren't as open-minded and all, but the guys that are good, sure. You're not going to have any problems with those guys in general, but the guys that are learning that aren't so good that are coming through the lineups, you could run into problems, but who knows? I don't like to talk about it too much. <laughs> we we actually had one here in, in Florida where we had a guy who was like on vacation, decide to paddle out at the pier. A surfer tried to get into it with him, and then basically the surfer dropped in on him. He fell, hit the guy with the board with the foil, and turned into this big ordeal. Oh, yeah, that was just like so. Yeah. Guy should never have been there. Um, yeah, we yeah we, just things like that. Just you got to be careful. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the deep states. Well, what? Sorry, what's so cool about that? We can get this next. But hey, you go somewhere like the Gorge, it's wide open. Yep, it's wide open, and that's what's so cool. Is there's so many other cool places, and these other places are totally developing. And it's cool to see that the Hood Rivers. There's like a rebirth in Hood River again. It used to be windsurfing, and now it's boiling. So it's cool to see that these other places are are, are popping up because it is so accessible and open. Anyway, what was that next one? <laughs> well, you did the show last year and this year. Um, and you mentioned that the vibe you felt was better brand to brand this year. Did you get some good runs this year? Did you get some good downwinding? I, the day we arrived, it was windy and I did get a couple of good runs. Um, I was stoked. Um, but then throughout the show, I was just there hanging out and talking story. Um, but it's beautiful there and I can't wait to go back next year because I'm already so much better since I've been back the last two weeks or three weeks or whatever it's been. I've been going every day. Oh, it's so um, and again, learning to just, I want to make these boards better. I want to make them more accessible. I want to have them pop off the water quicker and just all the different things. So I, again, I can't wait to go back. Oh. Like now I would take a trip to the gorge, not just for AWSI. I'll go back to just go downwind. We are too. Uh, we're talking about it for next summer. <laughs> a couple of weeks. Out. It was one of my favorite surf trips I've ever been on. And we were in the middle. Yeah, exactly. And I take exotic surf trips to Micronesia every year for three weeks. And I do all these things. I've been all over the world traveling and I'm attracted to go there and downwind and then also mountain bike. Yeah. So. <laughs> so epic. Um, what I was going to touch on there a second ago is uh, you mentioned the states that we hit when we're foiling. And, um, I saw that you and Kai had done a talk a few years ago, it looked like on risk and it seems we call them flow states. Are you pretty familiar with that term? Yeah. Okay. Um, and a lot of times those flow states come with consequence and foiling though, it doesn't seem like you have to have that consequence necessarily to hit those flow states. I know you've done incredibly amazing, extreme things in the water. How do you equate the mental state of foiling maybe on a downwind run or however you want to define it compared to high speed windsurfing or bigger wave surfing or the other things that you've done uh, in your life? 
Um, well, it, you have much more time. I think you're, you're in this flow state for a lot longer time. And you can come in and out. And it's more like meditating than, say, riding one wave windsurfing going super fast. Yeah, that one wave windsurfing, you're going to be focused for the one minute that you ride that wave. Um, but then you're back to, oh, I got to get back out or maybe a whole session windsurfing you're in that flow state. But for me, with where I'm at with my foiling and um, being able to do it now and be up and not go down much um, because it's new and exciting too, it, it, it allows me to reach this state for a longer period of time where I'm not thinking about anything but just what's going on or looking at uh, looking around. So it's like a long meditation. And um, because I'm, I'm older now and I'm not young like Kai and looking for that adrenaline, this is, to me, this is what I'm looking for is that peace, that sense of connection, that sense of um, using this connected state and focus and meditation to come up with new ideas that will just come to me as opposed to trying to force it so it's just a real it's it, for me this half an hour in the air is one half an hour of flow state meditation i love that what do the ideas feel like when they yeah come? um let's i'll be just like say i'll paddled up and i'll be flying along and not thinking about much of anything and then something just pops into my head and he's oh wow I should try that. And the only other time that it really comes to me like that is when I'm riding my bike. And I'm doing something repetitive and focused and there's not too much change, but there is movement and action. Mm -hmm. So you're having to stay present. Um, and then it just comes into your head and you're like, oh, wow, I should try that. And then you start thinking, oh, well, maybe it'll do this and it'll allow this. And then you just let it go and then and think about it here and there. But that's how it comes to me. It just pops in my head. Do you have a specific example of that process and on something that you can talk about that's not coming out this year? <laughs> that's, hmm, that's a good question. Um, specific example. I love those stories about how things came. Yeah. It did come something a couple years ago, but I can't remember. And I just had one the other day for the downwind boards that I can't really talk about. But it really, it was like, oh, wow, okay. And then I put it, I made a couple boards and I did it. And it was that that 20% that I've been looking for since the beginning of starting this. 20% better for me. Wow. So I can't remember what the last one was when I, I was running my bike. I came up with something and then, it, and then it'll happen and you feel the difference. And then you start going into design mode again and Hey, maybe I can make it a little better. And then you go too far or whatever, but it's that, that, that moment that sparks that idea that you feel like comes from being connected in that and, and, and connected to just what you're doing and flying and just all the things that are going around your head. When you're downwinding, not go, just everything that's connected to that sport that you're doing. So something that I'm a little deeper into um, that I've been doing longer, like surfboards and windsurfboards, doesn't tend to be these like, oh, wow, moments. It's more like a steady plodding along, making little changes, feeling the change. Um, I think the deeper you're into something the harder it is to come up with those things that make the board 20% better. Yeah. Well, I think that um, 50 years of it, right? There's been exactly so things that have been tried and in foiling, you were still so early on. The one thing that gives me, you, you said before that we might only be 40% into the foil design. The only thing that scares me um, that maybe we're farther along in that curve. And I hope that we're not is I think you can look at airplane design and see hundred years of where that has gone. And there's so many similarities yeah. that there's, I think not a lot. I think that we have drawn so heavily. It's not like we had to create all of these sections or all of these wing shapes, a lot yeah. of databases. <laughs> and so I wonder how much of that we've tested and gone through. And if there's going to be some, something that works in foiling, I guess like the idea that Kane and army both landed on with the extreme camber. That's a new one. I don't know yeah. if that exists in, in airplanes or not, but 
Um, yeah. Well, you're much closer to foil design than I am, so you would probably know better. But um, I think that whole thing where you can use the, the computer simulation to get a lot of info is very valid. But then the real world stuff comes in, and that's where I think with foiling, you're not flying a plane and crashing. You're, you just, it doesn't work well, or it does. or you're, So I think the parameters, because it's water, are a little different. And so I think there's a little more room for, there's a little more wiggle room for computer analysis and then also just that real world testing that's going to, um, that's going to bring it somewhere that with airplanes, I'm not saying that they can't do it. It's a lot more expensive, all that stuff. So I don't, yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Uh, well, I want to be respectful of your time. We just hit the hour mark. Um, what do you want to leave us with? Yeah, what do you want to leave us with? Yeah. Um, ah, what do I want to leave us with? I don't know. I think just that people should really uh, give this sport a chance. Not that they aren't. I think everybody is, and then and I'm excited to be a part of it. And um, you know, pushing design and feels like all the pieces are sort of coming together for KT. And um, I'm really looking forward to this next year and developing foils and really bringing the team that we are pulling together, um, really creating something cool that is accessible to whoever wants to be a part of it. I love it. Well, Keith, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for what you do. Thank and you. And all this rad stuff. Yeah, I appreciate it. Deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonson.